Hello, dear friends. My name is Rob Webster, and today I'm talking with Steve Hogue, who ran off and joined the circus. That's on episode six of The Story That Writes Us. What kid doesn't grow up thinking, maybe one day I'll just run off and join the circus? Well, my friend Steve Hogue actually did that, and he didn't pick any old circus. He ran off and joined the greatest show on earth. For a year, he was a clown with Ringling Brothers Barnum & Bailey Circus. So I had a chance to talk to him on the phone the other day, and what an engaging and fun conversation it was just to understand the storytelling that goes in to being a circus clown at the premier circus in the world. You know, I always tell people that they should go look at the show notes. So if you go to the story that writes us.com in the show notes for this episode, there's a link to Steve's video that he created to audition for the clown college. It's really well worth nine minutes of your time. I had a blast talking with Steve as he pulled back the curtain on the big top and gave us a glimpse into his life as a clown. Enjoy the interview. The, the circus fascination for me actually began because we lived here in San Antonio and uh, we were the one branch of the family tree that was far away from everybody else. My whole family, both mom and dad's side from Pennsylvania. So those guys would love to leave the cold weather and come down and visit us. And back in those days, it was completely safe and the thing to do to jump in the car from San Antonio and drive to Mexico and go buy cheap uh, blankets and bottles of vanilla and just <laughs> all the stuff that you could go in Mexico and get really cheap. And I'd love going on those little trips with them and I'd save up my money. I was like a you know second grader. But we'd go down there, and there was really nothing that was for a second grader to buy, except I got fascinated by these little clown figurines, these little hand-painted clown figurines. And, you know, they were just a couple of bucks. I'd get a couple, we'd get, and I'd just put them on my shelf, and I'd come back, and I'd do my little memento of our trip to Mexico. My whole family was like, oh, Steve likes clowns. And so they were always finding stuff. They would ship me big boxes of clown dolls, clown figurines, circus programs. And that was what kind of opened my eyes to the world of the circus because I'd, I would pour over all these old Ringling Brothers programs and I would just get fascinated by that world and who are these people and how do they learn how to do all this cool stuff. And, you know, um, went to the circus probably just a couple of times as a kid. But as I got a little older and even into college a little bit, anytime it was nearby, I would go. And, and little tent shows would come, and I'd go hang out. I was a photography student. I would take a ton of pictures. And I just really fell in love with that world. And I had been aware since I was a little kid that Ringling Brothers had a clown college. So if you wanted to join the circus as a clown for Ringling Brothers, you would. they had a very specific pathway to that where you would go to the show when it was in town you would audition for the circus like during the off time between shows they would have a kind of basically like a casting call and they just wanted to see how you are how you moved around if you're funny if you had a good sense of timing and that kind of thing so i did i did audition one time actually early on like about uh maybe my junior year of college i was actually just out of college and i thought i would try again but i was actually scheduled to be out of town that entire summer on a missionary trip. So I knew I was going to be gone, but I also didn't want to miss my chance to apply again. So I made a movie. I made a little movie called Clown Blood Runs Deep. 
and uh, actually just recently put it on YouTube, so you could find it if you want to see it. <laughs> can but I, it can I link uh, it in the show notes? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this was like this was shot on VHS, right? Or oh, maybe yeah, high eight, terrible. something and, like that. Yeah, and and edited in one of the earliest nonlinear video editors called Video Toaster. Oh, I remember and, Video Toaster. I'm jealous. I always wanted Video Toaster. Man, mm-hmm. you were yeah, one of the lucky of ones. My, well, I didn't own it. Some my friend of mine bought it, so I was like in his house. He was a newlywed, and I'm like at his house all the time. You know, they're just like staring at me, waiting for me to leave. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, so I, I edit this video. And I I had even gotten a little kid in my neighborhood to play me as a little kid, and it just kind of chronicled my love of the circus and everything I just told you about how I started falling in love with it. And, and this was a talented and, um, kid. I see. I I remember the video, and he was juggling and doing all sorts yeah. of stuff. So you you found a really good kid to to portray you. Well, I taught that kid to juggle. Oh, did you really? And yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I, I didn't have this video in mind at the time, but it, it was convenient. So anyway, yeah, I made that video, mailed it into Ringling Brothers, went on the mission trip, and they loved the video. And basically, they tracked me down. I, I think I got a phone call from my parents, and my parents were like, Ringling Brothers is trying to track you down. They want to know where you are. They want you to come to Clown College. Oh, my gosh. So they, were you just ecstatic? So oh, Yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh, man, this is so great. And I, I was kind of at a point in life, like early 20s, wasn't really sure what was next. And it just kind of gave me a path. And, uh, you know, kind of cool looking back on life where you see how it unwinds, sometimes with de- definite decisions you make and sometimes uh, just circumstances and providence and things that take you in a direction. Well, I, re- I remember that video and I thought it did such a great job of of everything you just said of showing that fascination and even getting that kid to play you and doesn't he toss a, a ball up in the air and the camera tracks it and then when it comes back down and lands in a hand it's your hand yeah yeah it was actually reminiscent of the shot in uh 2001 right. space odyssey where <laughs> the, the monkey throws, throws the bone up, <laughs> up in the air that's kind of what i was thinking about when i shot that but yeah yeah that was it yeah, well it shows me and i i and it's worth noting, if anybody goes and finds this video, um, just please take note of my amazing lamb chop sideburns that I had back then. Uh, they're quite impressive. They, they were they were incredible, Steve, <laughs> I got to say. Um, that That's fantastic. And I, I remember, it's so funny that even now, years later, I remember um, things from that video. I remember seeing it back then. And just the um, just the amount of creativity. Obviously, it's it's low-end gear, but uh, you did so much with it to, to tell a story really effectively and even even reference uh, 2001. It's just it's just hilarious. And I'm not surprised at all that they saw that and would say, oh, yeah, this is this guy's got all the makings of a, of a Ringling Brothers clown. Tell me about when as a as a clown in the circus, what's, what's the clown's role, would you say? Well, you know, historically, clowns really kind of existed as a distraction when things went wrong. Um, like if there was some sort of incident, some animals getting out, some trapeze artist crashes or whatever, and, and you're trying to take the audience's eyes elsewhere, and release the clowns and they come out and do their stuff to kind of pull everyone's eyes away and then people can deal with putting out whatever fire they got to deal with. So that only hap- that did actually happen a couple of times for the year that I was on the road but but more more of the time it was just going out providing some comic relief um, 
oftentimes a really good clown gag is based in a parody of something that you know really is truly awesome <laughs> I, I can tell I, I can tell you about one of our clown gags we called it the arabian gag because right right in front of us in the show there were these arabian acrobats that would come out and just do amazing amazing acrobatics they were all you know all, kind of all around the ring there was a person in the middle with this huge flag and they would swing this flag around and the acrobats would run full speed at him and tumble and you know vault over the flag like do you know handsprings and stuff and then flip over the flag right and just miss it by inches super cool very visual so that would end it was amazing they they would you know pose for the crowd everyone's applauding and screaming and then the clowns would come out <laughs> with a flag and dressed in like sort of similar outfits yeah. and the clown in the middle would just start swinging that flag around and just whacking everybody and everybody's just getting destroyed oh my and, gosh i love it um it was yeah it was very it was very fun action-packed but it, you know the context of it made sense because you had just seen the act immediately before right so right. that you know so clowns often are uh presenting you with this uh kind of funny alternate reality where they're either failing at something or they think they know something and uh they really don't and as as an audience member you you get the joke because you're you know right. smarter than them right so, oh my gosh that's so clever because i can remember so much of it's just visual comedy anyway that the, that the uh, clowns do i, yeah. I was tr honestly trying to remember if the clowns were mic'd and, and spoke um no no clowns can speak yeah you're right mimes mimes are <laughs> part of that art form is that they're really quiet and that's why they're you know annoying no, i'm just kidding uh, <laughs> you can have mimes no, egging sure. your house tonight or something <laughs> yeah hey if a mime wants to egg my house that's totally fine it's not going to leave any damage <laughs> that's right <laughs> you would welcome that um, some guys do and ladies do choose to work uh more just let, letting their actions kind of do the talking and certainly in the circus environment the reason, um, you know, you, maybe you could shout, but I mean, you might, you might be 30 feet away from the closest person in, right. in a arena circus environment. Some of those buildings were so big and, you know, so yeah, you're trying to communicate to that person who's in the front row, but you also got to communicate to that person way up in the rafters back there. So that's why all the movements are, uh, large and clean and um, because everything you're trying to do has to communicate, you know, it could be a hundred yards away that somebody's looking at you, and they need to they need to see what's going on. And that's that's many people don't know. That's kind of the mentality behind circus makeup, like clown makeup. Because if you're making an expression with your face, the makeup that you end up with, which is the same every day, it doesn't change. Um, it's supposed to really accentuate your own face and the way your face moves so that if, you know, somebody was very far away, they would be able to see what you're doing with your face. So there were 18 clowns, you said, when, during the year that you toured. And each clown, I, I remember you, you told me one time, part of what you did at the Clown College was developing a distinct personality and even a backstory. So tell, tell me about that and tell me about, about who you were as a clown. I did have... For mine, I had I had just kind of developed this little um, sort of a pearl of an idea of that my guy 
was sort of a frustrated, failed ringmaster. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, because, because, you know, the, the different clown, there are different clown characters that play various roles. Usually that like, like in classical circus, they literally align with the makeup. So I'll go on a quick tangent. If you're a white face clown, a white face clown is a, a clown that is probably wearing a little bit more of a, uh, really tailored, neat outfit. Um, there's no skin tone visible. They would wear gloves to you know, hide their flesh tone. Your ears, your neck, everything would be white. Um, not a great example, but probably one many people have seen is the clown from It. <laughs> right. You know, Pennywise, <laughs> the, original, the original Pennywise, and actually right. the, the new one too. But I mean, that's a white face because it's all white. Um, and so those are even spookier to some people because it's more otherworldly. But in the traditional um, sense, that was the straight man. White-faced clowns are very presentational. They would be the ones who kind of run the gag. And usually they're flanked by a couple of auguste. And, and uh, the auguste clown have, um, it's like the word august with an E on the end. It's they have very kind of gross, exaggerated features, the traditional red nose, um, more flesh tone in their makeup. And um, they're just kind of a, a little goofier. And they're, they're like the buffoons where the, you know, if, if the straight man is getting frustrated by all the buffoons around him, think Dr. Evil, why must I be surrounded by freaking idiots? Right, right. It's that. Is yeah. that and, and so the the straight man's getting so frustrated. These guys are running around, you know, being goofy. Um, so that's kind of a just a snapshot of the traditional roles that the makeups would indicate. But nowadays, it doesn't even matter. So I was sort of a white face. I was like an auguste with white face tendencies. I guess you could say. <laughs> I was like a even though it was an auguste makeup, he was very uh, kind of deadpan often frustrated, usually had other clowns that were the ones that were doing the goofy things that would frustrate him. And he would, you know, make eye contact with the crowd and like gesture at this other clown and be like, can you, can you believe this idiot over here? You know, that kind of stuff. So it was, uh, a, a little angry, <laughs> a little angry sometimes, <laughs> but, but it was the contrast between that and the, the goofball that made, made the funny, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. What makes something funny? <laughs> Golly, that feels like such a hard question right now. I, I don't know because humor absolutely does change too. So a lot of it does feel like it's cultural. I mean, in terms of, I'm not a comedy expert, but certainly some of the things that I know work are where um, you you put somebody in a spot. Like a lot of what's funny about circus type comedy is grabbing that person from the audience, making them participate and all the people that watch them and just sort of laugh and cringe and that it's the nervous laughter where they're so thankful it's not them. <laughs> right, right. So there's, there's that. And then another one, I guess I could say from the circus, like we, we talked about a little bit earlier, is where you're um, taking something familiar and then just kind of making a mockery of it. So the parody type thing like we did with, uh, you know, this, that acrobatic gag. So uh, certainly those are things that work in the, the circus taking something familiar and then uh, kind of just putting a little bit of a twist on it if somebody's you know getting punched in the face everybody can identify with that you know the clowns played off in a real funny cartoony way um 
we used to joke that if you didn't know how to end a clown gag, you would just do a pants drop, which is where, you know, somebody gets, gets pants or their right. pants just fall off for some reason. And, and you're wearing like funny underwear. Why is that funny? Well, because everybody has a fear of that or has been in a situation where they've been embarrassed. And that's, you know, this cultural thing. Ah, don't ever since I was a little kid, you don't show your underwear to people. So, I mean, that just be, it's just a funny, vulnerable thing. And everyone's like, Oh no, you know, so it's kind of a universal thing, but, um, yeah, we did have many gags that ended with a pants drop. (laughs) That actually was a big part of our training at clown college was all the, the violence. And, you know, of course, even then, I mean, this was years ago. Um, and I think people are even more sensitive to violence now. Um, but so we, we went out of our way to make sure that the violence that we would do if, if clowns were kind of mad at each other and somebody was going to give somebody a pop to the face, that it really didn't look realistic. Right. It was supposed to be very cartoony so that it would not be disturbing or associated with actual violence or someone who's actually really experienced getting hit. It's very much like watching a, you know, some Bugs Bunny cartoon. And actually, that's what we would do. We would At lunchtime, we would sit around watching cartoons for inspiration. But... You know, but there's something to that. I mean, just go on YouTube. How come a video of uh, kids coming out of school and slipping on the ice has a zillion views because it's hilarious to watch people fall down? It's true. That's, <laughs> that's true. Why, that's that's why. <laughs> it just if you is. haven't seen that video, you got to go watch that. It's been great. So, and the dad is such an evil man because he just he didn't warn anybody. He just right. He's just laughing as he best. as he records. And so yeah. you do pharmaceutical sales now. And so do you ever just fall down right. or drop your pants to try to sell some medicines? How, has this been <laughs> an application? I would like to say I'm too proud to do that. However. No, um, I, I do. Have, I, it does come up, you know, that I had that background and inevitably doctors will just say, so show me a trick. And I'll mm-hmm. say, OK, what do you want to hear? Let me let me take this uh, serving spoon and I'll balance it on my nose for you. And they're like, that's it. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm going to write your drug now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love it. Well, it's funny if you have kids too, that that helps shape like the comedy uh, sort of taste of the house because whatever's quotable, like my kids love Nacho Libre, Nacho Libre, man. Like, and and we sing the songs and do, I mean, everybody loves that movie. Sometimes do you like to wear the stretchy pants? I have, I have, I have an outfit. I have a, yeah, I don't have his exact one. I got, I got hired. I got hired. I do, I do a couple of gigs now and then, and I got hired to be a roving, you're going to love this. I got hired to be a roving, uh, entertainer at a festival in a little Texan town called Cuero. They have a thing called Turkey Fest, which is a historical (laughs) festival where they have like this weird rivalry with a town in Europe and they make trips every other year back and forth where they bring a prize turkey and they race them. Oh my God. Well, it's this huge festival, Turkey Fest in Cuero. And, and they hired, I got hired by this little talent agency of variety performers to go out there and just be whatever I wanted. So I got a Lucha outfit. I got the, you know, the mask and a cape and a this awesome uh, tight-fitting shirt that's all muscle, so it looks like I'm not even wearing a shirt and I'm just totally ripped. And um, and I bought like tiny little toy um, 
like wrestling ring, like a WWF oh wrestling ring that you'd use with the action figures. And I was went around challenging people to thumb wrestle in the ring with me. <laughs> oh my gosh. And um, I had the best time. I it's mean, so uh, good. kids were all down with it. The adults, I'd really have to call them out and like talk a lot of trash to get them to, to play. Right. But, um, but yeah, it was really fun. We've talked about story and, and uh, this podcast is the story that writes us and, and kind of how our stories uh, are always being shaped by the story of the gospel too. And, and I think as a clown, you were a, a unique kind of storyteller. You had lots of sketches that you would do and whatnot. How has that um, shaped your ability, I guess, as a storyteller? And and I don't know, has that affected who you are today? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm I'm very interested in story. And just briefly, I, you know, after I left the circus, I went into a role as a video producer. And I still do some video stuff. I don't, I'm not in a position where I use it to make a living, but I still love to do video production projects. I, I volunteer at my church and we'll do projects for them. Um, and that, you know, that is a very active, uh, art form in terms of storytelling. Um, and I think, you know, the things I learned as a circus clown, when you have, when you have three minutes to take an audience to, from a beginning and a middle to the end, of a quick little clown gag and you have to think in that type of structure, um, to tell a, a quick, funny story in, you know, three minutes or so, or, or if you have less time, 90 seconds, you know, how do you, how do you establish what's happening, have some action in the middle that leads to a conclusion? Hopefully it's funny. Um, but you know, that just thinking in terms of that structure really helped me as I kind of honed my craft as a video producer and even now I work in the, in the capacity of sales and, you know, if you're, if you work in any kind of technical sales and you're really trying to win your audience over with charts and graphs and basically winning an argument, um, I mean, you might have some level of success, but if you're able to engage hearts and minds with true stories, that's what's sticky and that's what people care about and that's what they're going to remember and take action on. So storytelling has been a focus. I've even done uh, workshops for my company on storytelling based on, um, you know, different books that I've read. One I could recommend to you and your audience is Talk Like Ted. TED Talks, if you haven't been exposed to them, are amazing. They're highly curated. The people that get in there and uh, share have a very clean message to share with the beginning, middle, and end. But the, one of the, the keys that make all those talks so impactful is that they use true stories. And that's where, you know, people really kind of, you know, put down their pen and look up at the speaker to say, man, what is that's an that's going to stick with me. Um, so, you know, in terms of storytelling, I think I think it's it's huge. If you want to engage hearts and minds, that's where it's at. I, when you asked me to be a part of this, I. I just, I really like the idea of a podcast where it's, um, you've left it kind of open-ended, the story that writes us, because I think we do have responsibility uh, and some power in the story of our lives, but also there's, there's that aspect of it where our life unfolds before us, or it's like a, uh, you know, water running down a hill, and you know, we don't know to have control over which direction it's going to take circumstances and providence. And, um, there, there are just things that happen that take us in a different direction. Like I never 
would have foreseen that I have the job I have now or the wife that I have now or the family that I have or that I'd be living here. You know, they, these are not things that were planned. And it's it's kind of funny. It's you, you it's like that talking head song. You know, is this is this my beautiful house? Is this my beautiful wife? <laughs> you just right. wake up and you're you're like, wow, how did you know? How did I get here? Right, right. <laughs> and um, so, but but in that it is that it's not chance that there's a designer and a storyteller and a director behind everything. Uh, the great and powerful laws behind the scenes who's pulling all the <laughs> all the levers and making it happen and a lot of times we think it's random it feels random or we think we made a choice when actually uh, you know there's an aspect to it and it's a beautiful mystery because yes we can make choices and make our life and our life story move in a direction but then there's that other aspect where it, it's out of our control hmm. and it's that the tension between the two which make it a very compelling story and we all have one everybody's got a very compelling story and i believe that if you sit down at starbucks with anybody for 15 minutes you're gonna find something super interesting to talk about about their life you're absolutely right it's it's been funny since even since i started this podcast just people coming up to me with different stories and hey you'd never know this about this person or whatever but most people you're right if you sit down and and talk to them. Um, they've got they've got some sort of a great story, and people don't see themselves as, as storytellers. And it's like, oh, but but you do, and you know, you you don't even realize it sometimes. But we're all storytellers with a story to tell. That uh, you know, hopefully, we're telling in light of in light of God's story that's that's continuing to craft us and, and shape us. Thanks for sharing your thoughts on that, by the way. I think you articulated it really, really well. Um, you, you don't want to go full on predestination. You know, it's like, is is everything ordained? Or maybe you do. You know, I don't know. People come from different theological perspectives on mm-hmm. things. But um, but clearly we've got agency in our lives. And yet, uh, ultimately, um, you know, our story is being written uh, by God. And, um, you know, that tension is that tension is there and the responsibility we have i think to to live our lives in light of of the author um is uh, is so important for yeah. us i like i said i really like what you're up to with this podcast i um I'm a huge believer in the power of story i mean we have you know as a christian so grateful that we have preserved through the bible the story of the way God loves us and the hope that that book gives us because there is a beginning, middle, and end to that book and we the book tells us what the ending is. And and you can see the way God cares about story and the way Jesus taught people is through stories. And there the stories that are in there, I believe are all there not by dance, but they're instructive for us so that as we navigate the story of our lives we have um, some guidance from those who have gone before. And the, the stories that are in there are really there for us to, to live this life and this story in the best way that we can. What you just said, the, the Bible is still applicable because it's not just a story of God, but it's also the story of us. And human nature hasn't changed. And the temptation that King David might have faced with pride or with Bathsheba or uh, whatever it is, uh, those temptations were just as vulnerable to today. And so human nature just hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. And so the stories that are there 
they it still works you know it's like because yeah. people haven't changed I, I think it was c.s lewis um used the term chronological arrogance which is just the belief that a new thought is a better thought and um you know we can go back to to things that are three thousand years old and and just find deep truths there because we're still the same species and we still have the same god so there's power to, to old stories even that's that's right that's an interesting uh a quote from C.S. Lewis. And I feel like in our day and age today where everybody really does feel like they're so evolved and at least in the, our, our timeline through the centuries, a lot of people probably have that kind of arrogance about where we are today versus ancient peoples. However, in terms of critical thinking and logic, and um, I think anybody could go back and sit on Mars Hill and just get schooled right. philosophically. By what was going on back then i don't think anybody's any smarter today as a matter of fact as a culture i think you could argue the opposite <laughs> i really i really do appreciate you steve and and thank you for taking some time just to um just to give us some insights um into your uh, into your past and how it shaped who you are now i think it's uh, fantastic stuff so i appreciate you yeah thanks for thinking of me and having me on it was a fun conversation so again, if you want to check out Steve's audition video, I think it's well worth the time. You can go to thestorythatwritesus.com and you can see that along with some photographs of him from his time being a clown with the circus. I might even pop up in one or two of those pictures because I and a group of friends got to see him. I think it was in Raleigh, North Carolina when the circus came to town. I want to give you just a heads up about next week's episode too. I had a chance to talk to a friend of mine named Stacy Kennard and Stacy and her husband, Mark, are involved in trauma healing. Mark was a Marine and a military chaplain for years, and they've since that time become missionaries, oftentimes serving as chaplains to missionaries, but also working with trauma healing at places around the world. They focused a lot in South Sudan. They've worked with the Ukrainian military, and the conversation took a surprising turn when I learned how trauma had come into their own home and into their own lives. I think it's a really important episode and one that I think will help all of us understand the needs that people who are struggling with post-traumatic stress syndrome and other kinds of trauma, what they really need and how healing can come about. I can't wait for you to hear it next week. The Story That Writes Us is produced at Custer Road United Methodist Church in Plano, Texas. If you're ever in the area, I hope you'll drop in on us, pay us a visit on a Sunday morning. You can go to crumc.org, that's our church website, and all the info is there. And this podcast is part of our adult discipleship ministry here at Custer Road UMC. Thanks for listening today.